Welcome. What follows is a recording of a session taught at Engage Conference the beginning of March 2019. The vast majority of the session will concern local evangelism and a community outreach program that you can use near your church. I want to encourage you that you can reach the community immediately around the ch your church, regardless of church size, uh, in a systematic way. Please enjoy, and I hope it blesses you. Good public speaker. Um, so if I, if I don't get it quite right, then please stop me, ask anything that would apply and like that. And I'm just going to work through the same PowerPoint that's on the screen. It should be the same thing you had in your folder there. Okay? So the question that sort of uh, prompted me or got me thinking uh, about the, what we were achieving as a church was, would you be missed in your community? And I think that that's a very good question, and people, you know, it's a good idea to ask that question, but I think it falls short. Um, do people know that you are there? Do people who do not attend claim your church as their home church? Uh, we ran, we run into that in the community where we were witnessing door to door, and I, you know, I'm the pastor of the church that I uh, pastor and help to plant, and I ran into people who claimed to be members of my church. So I'm standing on there, and I didn't tell them I was a pastor, but they said, yeah, I'm a, a child of them. And, and the way that's a bad thing, because obviously they are not members, they are fitting, um, and I had never met them before, but in a way it's a good thing. That means that somebody knows that your church is there, and so they could theoretically come and participate if they wanted to, and so that's a good thing. All of these questions fall a little short. Um, is your church growing in maturity in numbers? Um, is a good question to ask because the individuals need to be growing in maturity. If they're growing in maturity, obviously the outcome of that is they're in their faith. Are they growing in numbers? Not necessarily the right question because you might be reaching people who are not coming to your church. So all of these questions fall short when we talk about the impact, the total impact of your church. And you may have seen them in various materials or messages or so on. So we're first going to talk about local impact in the community. And some of this will be, it'll seem overly simple, it's not rocket science, but I want you to see it for what it is. What we discovered in our, the three churches that we were in uh, was that folks who were right there around our church building, who may have heard of us, may have been claimed to be members of us, or whatever, had no idea what we were about. They didn't know that it was about Christ. They didn't know that, it was, that they could be saved. They hadn't heard of the remission of sins or the need for forgiveness of sins. Even though, in, in some cases, like I had one that, uh, literally was kitty corner on the corner directly across from the church. And, um, it, and this kind of hits me to the core. They didn't even know it was a church. Um, and we have a school building, and so that can be easier. You know, but they didn't even know that it was a church. So first and foremost, to get this local impact emphasis going, I'm going to share with you, you have to foster an attitude that the community is the home of the church. And this is a problem. Because a lot of people are driving to church these days. They're driving 15 miles. They're driving an hour. Now, hopefully, not too many of those. But um, but the, where the church building, that is where God gave as the epicenter of that worship. right? So that is the community in which your church is responsible. Uh, who, who else is going to be responsible for the people that live across from your church building? That's got to be you. It can't be anybody else. Otherwise, someone's going to come and plant. And we do see that, right? So you, church, you go down the road, and there's a church building, and a church building, and a church building. I would assume that one of those three church buildings is responsible for the people who are immediately across the street. At least I would hope they would be. But the reality is maybe none of them are. Because they may all be driving in from 15 minutes away. So we have to foster an attitude in the church that the community is the home of the church and that the church as a whole has a debt of service to the community and to each family. That last part is the new part. Okay? The first part just seems like uh, that makes sense. 
I'm, the church building is there for me to do that. But we have a debt of service. So that doesn't, that's obviously spreading the gospel, yes, but more than just that. We have a debt of service to the community that our church building is in and then to each individual family in that community. Now, we can get into the biblical background of that, but this is the premise for the local outreach that I'm about to share. First of all, does anybody disagree with me on any of those three points? Okay, so I don't think we have to get into the biblical background of it necessarily, but you understand that that would mean, for example, if there's a little girl who's 12 years old and she's five houses from your church building, living in a non-Christian home, and she's molested by the time she's eight, or she's missing her parents, they're not, she's a latchkey child by the time she's six, etc. that your church family that meets right there in the community has a responsibility of debt of service to her. Follow the, the, the direct logic. Okay. So, the, this is a process that we are actively using around our church building. I'm going to walk through it. I won't dwell on it overly so because we have a lot of things to talk about today. But we, we have segmented the area around the church, the neighborhood, if you will, down into a manageable number of homes. This gets out of control fast. We went out prayer walking for one hour thinking we were going to focus on prayer walk 48 houses so we could get this program started in a particular area. And in that hour, we prayer walked 156 houses within two blocks of our church building. We don't, as we're driving through the city, we don't realize how many homes and families that are those little neighborhoods represent. I'm not talking about multi-unit housing like apartment complexes. Normal block is 30, 40 houses, easy. The longer street gets up 60 houses. You just don't realize how fast it adds up. It depends on how much yard people have, but urban communities have very little yard. Okay? Um, so we segmented down an area, in our case, we chose. We, had, we, we knew we had two committed workers. I'll talk about that in a second. And so we committed, we, we segmented down into 48 houses. Now you can resegment and divide things out as you go, so you can set the numbers however you want. What is a manageable, manageable number of homes is going to be based completely on how many workers you have. So you might yeah, just, you, uh, we know the name, maybe you've heard the name Jerry Falwell. Okay. This method that I'm describing, I didn't know it at the time, but this is how Jerry Falwell planted Thomas Road Baptist Church. Um, he got a, a legal pad, a yellow legal pad, and, and a series of good pens, and he went out and one by one did exactly what I'm describing to you right now. I didn't know that when we wrote it, um, but then we found out, uh, as I took one of the classes, that uh, his son came in and spoke to my family class at Liberty, and he explained the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, hey, God led us to do the same thing. So the point is, you set a, a workable number of houses, whatever that is, and then you divide those set of houses by four. So if you, we got 48 houses was our number. We only had two of us, and we thought that would be workable in a reasonable amount of time. And so we have 12, four sets of 12 houses, for example, whatever you set it up to be. You might have about 20 workers, but uh, we have a whole lot more houses you would need, okay? Phase one, and I know you've probably heard this word over and over and over again, is prayer walking. Now, when I say prayer walking, I don't necessarily mean what other people do. Maybe uh, it's a little different. We, we use a prayer walking guide. I have some of those. We take a prayer walking guide. Um, but basically, the idea is to walk the neighborhood house by house and pray for literally every house. Remember, we have a debt of service to every family. So we pray for every house, for the family that lives in the house, Know there's a mom and dad, we pray for both of them. We know their names, we pray for both of them. That potential prayer for each house. And then, as the Lord leads you to pray, you pray things that might be, he might originate. So, for example, you're praying, you say, uh, Lord, I pray that this will be home. I pray that the children obviously play in the yard because I see toys. I pray that their mom and dad and grandma will ever take care of them, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then the Lord leads you to pray for grandma's health. But why would you pray for grandma's health? There's no particular reason to do that, but you feel led to do that, so you pray for grandma's health. So that's prayer walking. 
And that's the Lord enlightening you to the needs of the community that is right outside your door. Okay? Now, this is all under the idea of locally reaching what's right outside your door. Okay? And so any pertinent details then are recorded as you do that. So for example, in our case, we have a photocopier, most of do. We take a little chart, every house number gets written down, every prayer that is prayed, and you're going to do this in a little synopsis, like grandma's health, that might be all it says, or uh, kids play here, or little snippets like that. And then when we're done praying for those 48 houses, we go to the photocopier and we make 48 copies. Or for two pages, it'll be 24 copies of each page. And then we have a folder, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in the second phase, that we keep those in. And when you go prayer walking again, I go prayer walking after David prayer walk. David was led to pray for Grandma Saul. Now, I don't know that because I don't get that sheet in advance. I go out and pray, and I'm led to pray for Grandma Saul. When the administrator puts that the two sheets away, David was led to pray for Grandma Saul. I'm led to pray for Grandma Saul. But what does that tell you? Something about Grandma Saul. We don't know what it is, but it's something. Now, if you knock on the door and you say, and again, I'm getting a little bit ahead in the second phase, you knock on the door and you say, hey, um, you know, we've been praying for Grandma's health. We, we know there might be something there. We can get it. What does that look like to grandma or to the family that lives there? That's significant. God can use that. So when I say prayer walking, our prayer walking is intentional, detailed, and, and then you need to record pertinent details. Okay? And then uh, you need a simple record keeping resource. I didn't produce these and give these to you. Ours looks like a piece of paper with lines on it. That's what it is. Address what the prayer, what, what you prayed. That's what it is. Address what you prayed. Uh, now, I encourage our workers to make a note if there's a big dog or a big crack in the sidewalk. You know, things like that. But really, it's what you prayed. That's what it's all about. And the two keys here are take notes, uh, be thorough, meaning take your time to be. So in an hour, we prayer walk 106 houses. If you're prayer walking 48 houses, you need to slow down. You should be standing in front of that house long enough praying that there's a possibility that someone in the house will look out the window and see you in the house praying. You can walk by and go, and I pray for 9.36, and I pray for 9.37, and I pray for 9.39, and after you do it, you're going to get 48 houses in 15 minutes. No one's ever going to see you do it. Although they're going to wonder who you're talking to as you walk on the street or somebody will see you, but this is not, that's not impressing anybody. And it's not actually probably going to move the Lord. Take your time, record your notes. Yes, sir. Christian, no one's going to see you doing it. Yeah. Have you found a lot of interaction in those with people you're looking out the window saying, why are these people standing in front of my house? Oh, it depends on what you mean by a lot. A lot's a fairly general term, but we do have interaction. Yes, absolutely. Um, and actually, we if you're walking down the street, so you're walking the other way, you never don't say anything. All right. I mean, even though we're Americans and the tendency is to, you know, that, don't, don't do that. I'm out here prayer walking today. Do you have any specific prayer concerns? If they give you a prayer concern, and again, this is kind of getting ahead of myself, but if you give your prayer concern, that is a green light for the gospel. Go to the gospel. They, they will say, yes, pray for me this, work your way to the gospel immediately. Because they are open to God, they accept that there could be a God, and there could be some benefit to praying, and that's all you need to have a green light to the gospel right there. You may as well just go there if you possibly, you know, within seconds even. Yep. So you believe in God then? Yes, I do. You believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Yes, I do. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Well, yeah, I'd say so. Okay, well, and then drill down on the gospel because they don't know they're saved and if they don't know they're saved, they're probably not saved. They might be saved before they came back. You clarify all that then. So you can go really quick to the gospel if they ask for it, if they'll let you pray back to task. Alright, so this phase, the prayer walking phase, will overlook, overlook, overlap, there we go, all of the other phases. It never stops, in fact. It does shift. So you will leave behind some houses when we get to phase four. You will leave behind some houses unless you have extra manpower that only prayer walks. You have some of that. They'll pray walk, but they won't witness. Um, for whatever reasons, why that's true, uh, then 
you may never leave them behind, but otherwise you would you would leave some houses behind, uh, but you're continually prayer walking in advance. Okay. All right. So phase one administration. Once the area has been prayer walked once, you will have every address and some small detail about every home. Start a folder. Label the folder with that address. And it's, I put this note in there. Ideally, phase one is going to be worked through at least three times before phase two begins. Is what I mean. In other words, you have you will have three separate occurrences where someone has prayed for that house, been led to pray for maybe, or you know, just pray generically, whatever, but you'll have in their folder will already be three pages, three people in a prayer walk that house. Okay? And it doesn't stop there. And then you go to phase two. In phase two, you prayer walk every house again. So you go out on another day, for example, or maybe later the same day, we prayer walk every house the same again. And then you do knock on door visits in the first section, the first quarter, the first 12 houses. So 48 houses get prayer walked again. That's the fourth time. The first 12 houses get knocked on. And a, you know, uh, we, and basically you're in your stop, your intentional knock on the door visits, you're really asking for a stop back visit. Next week, we're going to come through and make visits. We'd like to bring you a gift about these. That's really what you're looking for in a knock on door visit. Now, my experience is that better than 70% of knock on door visits wind up with the sharing of the gospel. We have had one in 20 slam the door, really small number, um, or say something like not small number. Um, and then I would say it's probably 30% just won't come. They don't want to talk to you, or they don't want to talk to anybody, or they're too afraid to answer the door, or whatever you just want to And that's, you know, think about that, they don't, they're not interested. And that's just what nobody, nobody answers. Nobody answers, answers right? All right, so anyway, knock on door visits, the first quarter of a home, and during this phase, a lead question is going to be asked. Now, this is where each church's personality is going to affect the question. This is the question we use. We believe that God is preparing some people to get involved with a new church. Might you be one? Yes or no? No. I would not be one. Okay, can I leave this information with you? Yes or no? No. Okay, walk away. Might you be one? Yes. Can I share with you what we believe? Yes. Gospel. Might you be one? Yes. Can I share with you what we believe? No. Okay, can I leave this information with you? Totally non-confrontational. In fact, I say, if this phase, you do not overcome objections. This is not an overcome objection phase. This is just a, hey, I'm giving you a So we are, this is a possible second one. We are out of the community looking for people who may be interested in partnering with us to make the community a better place to live. Might be one. Yes. Okay, can I share with you what we believe? No. Okay. Still, you said you'd be interested in possibly partnering with us. Here's some opportunities to do that. And that's a good time to say, can we stop back and talk about it more? You don't want to get wrapped up in long conversations unless you're sharing the gospel with somebody. And then you go, as long as you got to go, as long as they want to go, as long as they're pushing forward. If you realize they're just really bellying and delaying you, then you got to be long. But otherwise, so quickly, I had one that took a few hours. And praise the Lord, at about an hour and a half, the porch light burnt out. And it had gotten dark outside. I, this was before I had a Bible on my phone. So there was no Bible. And so the Lord said, well, just put your Bible away and tell him what you know. So I had to quote verses from memory. And I had, fortunately, had a few verses in memory. Um, and he did wind up accepting Christ uh, that night as we stood together in the dark on the other talking about Jesus. So that, so it does happen. It takes as long as it takes. And that's what we tell people. Okay, as long as it looks like they're asking questions. Or Third possibility, we are coming out to get to know our neighbors and see how we can work together. Would you be interested in hearing more? Yes? No? No? Okay, just going to leave this material with you. No? Okay. I'm leaving. Yes? I'd be interested in knowing more. Okay. Can we share with you what we believe? Or no? No is, 
well, let me leave this material with you and could you stop back for a visit? And we're looking forward to phase three, right? But yes is, okay, can I share with you what we believe? Yes, okay, so the gospel, the basics of it, right? So a couple of caveats. I highly su suggest that this be a yes or no question. People say, well, you should be listening with passionate time. Ask them an open-ended question, okay? Well, if you ask them an open-ended question, then by the time they get done answering you, which might be a few paragraphs, and you've given them the opportunity to do that, you're going to have to pick something out of what they said. If you don't pick the right thing, you've offended them. See? You're not, because you didn't come to listen to them. This is a knock-on-door visit. This is not a stop-back stop visit. This is a time where you're asking, can we further our relationship? Yes or no? So I suggest a yes or no question. Um, do not pass press objections, press past objections in any case. So if you start sharing the gospel and they make objections, you don't press past their objections unless the Lord specifically needs you to do that. That's not what this is about. Because what will then happen is you will not get the opportunity to have a stop back visit, at which time you could potentially actually win them to the Lord. You will chase them away from their, because you got to the gospel, remember, by saying, might you want to partner with us? Would you like to hear more? Um, are you potentially interested in any church? That's how you got to sharing the gospel. You already have that. Don't give that up by becoming a little bit obstinate about the faith and pushing past your objections, because then you won't get the stop back visit that you want. You can't give up the stop back visit that they already pretty much promised us, or at least alluded to the, that they would give. And then we want to practice whatever the question is. Whoever's involved needs to practice the question and make it their own. Don't try to be genuine while reciting something from them. Have a little card or paper with a question on it, and then go, we uh okay we think there might be somebody in the in the neighborhood um that's not going to work if you're just there to read a piece of paper to them then don't look genuine look in there so you got to whatever your question is and it can be as simple as you want we have some time to talk can we stop back in a while and talk uh, can we talk to you about Jesus today if you want to get right there if you're doing an end you want to get right to the matter when you set your question to be what you want it to be I recommend looking for a willing to con willingness to connect first, and if they say yes, then saying, okay, can we share with you what you whatever your question is. Um, and given the opportunity in this phase, you plan to share the gospel. Um, in sharing the gospel, as we heard this morning, people have to ask that question, what would I say if I had the opportunity to share the gospel? Um, given some, give you some tools, Evangel Cubes, uh, there's a couple of other things up here. There's the Three Circles of Life Conversion Guide. This is a little more complicated way of showing the gospel. Um, tell someone you can share the good news if you're not seeing these. I have, I have I have ten or so of those. You can take those with you and so on. So that's material that that can help people who are going. Yeah, I know I do these. I want to do this, but I just um, I don't know what I would even say. You know, then you can help them get to that point where yes, yes, absolutely. And telling telling your story is uh, if you want to put it in a case, the net. That's the net advantage. You listen to them. First, in a sense, and then tell that you know that gives you authorization to share your story. Ultimately, you have to jerk the hook. You have to say, "So, are you willing?" And that's kind of the next step. Yeah, no, the next one. Anyway, so the point is, you you have to say, "Are you willing to believe what I'm talking about?" That's when a person gets saved. When they actually so, Evangel Cube, the ABCs of Salvation, which is every VBS material ever produced, has that in there. Um, it, although it varies depending on confession or commitment, and I would say it requires both confession and commitment, but simple Romans Road, share Jesus without fear, that's the one where you mark the verses you're going to use in the Bible, and then instead of you reading the verses, give them the verses to read, ask them what it means. Uh, in the inner city, our experience is they can't tell you what it means most of the time, because they, they're, they're words that they don't use their normal vocabulary, so they don't find the words, even words like saved or eternal life or 
cloud. Um, they don't necessarily interpret those the same way. So, so you were, you're still going to be then guiding them to understand. You might have to give illustrations, put it back. And then uh, whatever you can do when, on the on the knock on door business, your gospel presentation needs to be as simple because you don't know where they come from. Now, bear in mind, you may be talking to a Christian. You may be talking to somebody who has accepted the Lord and been born again, right? If that's so, you let them tell you that. Never assume. In fact, push hard to not assume um, so that if they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe, or whatever, then uh, get to this point. You say, are you willing to believe this? Are you willing to accept these truths, the things I've explained to you? Do you agree? Are you willing to agree with me on this? And hopefully you're getting them to say yes, at which point you immediately go to, okay, we pray to God right now and tell God that. You know, it's very simple, pretty kind of almost like just a few steps. If they are already a Christian, you need to let them tell you if they've been born again. Don't assume. Even if they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to such and such a church. Okay? Because what do we know about Christianity? The churches are filled with people who don't know Jesus. I'm sorry, but that's a fact. Okay? It's not, not my, I'm not judging any individual when I say that. That's just a reality. Okay? So we have a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus in a sense, but they don't actually know Jesus. And so... If they have at, say, if they say, yeah, I'm a believer, I go to such a church, okay, then you can, one way to do it, if you're really careful of this, is to ask them the details of their salvation experience. The reason I say you have to be really careful with that is because after they share how they accept Jesus, you're, if they have not accepted Jesus, you're going to have to poke holes in it. And now the conversation just became adversarial. Well, I was, you know, I was at camp, and my sisters and my brothers all went forward, and I just knew I really wanted what they had, and so I went too. Okay, so when you made that decision, what were you actually believing? What were you actually committing yourself to? Can we clarify that? You know, um, so you're you're asking them to give up what they have held to be true when you wouldn't necessarily have to have done that. So I'm saying, so a, a, a good way to do it is um, to say something like, uh, "Do you know what John chapter three says about this? What we've been talking about?" Okay, so. Um, going to be transparent and honest here. John chapter 3 is the story of Nicodemus going to Jesus. In this room, how many people know what Jesus told John, Nicodemus about being saved in John chapter 3? Raise your hand. Again, right? So we're 100%. Guess what it is when you're standing at the front door? Even with people who claim to be Christians, even with people who have been in church, about 5%. It's a horribly low number. Okay? So I've been a Catholic my whole life. They will not know. I can just tell you they won't doesn't matter if they went to confirmation or not. I've never had a Catholic that they're telling me what John chapter 3 is. I'm not trying to be mean. I've done it 30 times. I've never had one. That's not their fault, I don't even think, but that's just a reality. Okay? Um, so the bottom line is they're not going to know. And you just be gentle about that. Well, basically, this is the story that's there. Let's talk about it briefly. This is the story that's there. Um, if they say, yes, I remember, you say, do you remember what Jesus told the Nicodemus? And then you can kind of share it together. And if they do, and they say, yeah, I did that when I was uh, 21, I was born again, whatever, and I, I've done that, then you're basically at the point of now you're rejoicing. And if they haven't said they are going to church, then you say, well, if you know Jesus, then you know Jesus once you're worshiping him collectively as a body, right? And of course, not all believers will immediately admit that, but put like that, a lot of times they will ascend to that fact. Um, if they don't show the ability to tell, to tell the tale, then summarize the encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, which basically, of course, leads to the statement, you must be born again. But don't forget these details. Nicodemus was a very, quote-unquote, holy guy. He was in temple all the time. He was a preacher in high demand. The past two days, he had memorized whole books of the Bible, and most of us ever, he had whole books memorized, right? And yet, Jesus said to him, 
we must be born. Okay, so now we're honing in on the being born again, and you may have to define for them. In fact, I highly recommend defining for them to have a fresh start in Christ in order to see the kingdom of God. That's what you're gonna. Now, what you're doing is a very gentle way, as they're hopefully they're processing. If they're with you, if they're tracking with you, they're processing in a very gentle way. You're teaching them. Well, you may not be there, but actually be where you are. You haven't told them that they lied. You haven't confronted them at all. You're just showing them that maybe they don't fully have all the pieces place. Okay? And then the goal is to say, have you ever had that fresh start? Now you're back to it. They say, well, yes, I have. I have. In fact, I was at Tony Paco's restaurant in Toledo, which is well known. Uh, there for lunch, and the bartender was serving our table. Um, they had just finished the cafeteria line. She came over, she's serving us. We got to this point in the conversation. Her arranging her schedule to be able to come to the table that many times. So she was obviously interested. And, and I asked her, so will you, have you ever had a fresh start in Christ? And she said, well, I kind of feel like I have. I was in a car accident, and I had to have reconstructive surgery and all these kinds of things. And my life has been totally different since that event. So now you're in a moment where you have to handle that. That's not the fresh start that Jesus is talking about, right? We all understand that's not salvation. It's fresh start in Jesus. And I said, well, that it sounds like a fresh start. And I said, so then you know what a fresh start is about. And I can tell you from our conversations that we've been having that God has already been at work in your life, right? And she said, well, yeah, I guess he has. He really has been at work in my life. And I said, I said but what's happening is God is trying to show you how the fresh start in Christ can be life, but so much better than the fresh start you had in the car accident. Eight minutes later, she was standing at the table, bowing her head and praying to accept Jesus Christ with me and the three teenagers. Okay? In a restaurant full of 50 people, on the job, on the clock. And I'm not, that's not me, that's God. It's not God, it's the Word. It's the culmination of God and the Word coming together in her, and it got saved, right? So we can come to church and worship, but we, we start to realize we have a debt of service. You're going to take that message to the people that you have the debt of service to. I've heard about this morning, right? And then you're going to find yourself in these situations. Of course, you're going to, you're going to encourage the person to pray. You don't want to say, okay, yes, we've got there. We realized we weren't saved before. Now you have a chance to fresh start. So I pronounce you saved and healed and send them off on their merry way. There's more to be done, right? You want to let God know what the decision was made. And then, of course, now you have a debt of service to the new believer, right? The evangelism, evangelism is a part, just a part, a small part, a relatively small part, as we'll see in a minute, of the debt of service to you have the community around you, right? But then after evangelism, and you begin to pay that debt of service, you're going to establish a debt of service to a new believer, a babe in Christ. You bring a baby home from the hospital, that takes work. And you have things you have to do, right? And so there's going to be steps that we're going to have to take with that person. And if, if they do say they understand all that, they've already had a fresh start, then you know, I'd, I'd whip into a worship service right there on the porch. I'm not saying throw those songs, whatever, but you know, you might just say, well, let's praise God together. You know, and say a prayer of praise. Or you know, encourage them to get involved in a church that cares about its community. Then we have a stop back visit with you on the phase three, that kind of thing. Um, if they have not, uh, ask them whether they be willing to accept the fresh start in Christ today. If they are willing, pray with them to do just that. I, I recommend always assuring after somebody makes a decision uh, using whatever verses you like to use. There's lots of them that you can use that are pretty point blank. I use Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand your heart for a knock, even though I understand that verse technically written to a church, not to an individual. But it was also written to every individual in that church, right? So, will I stand at your heart's door and knock? He opens the door. I will come and sup with him and be with me. Or I kind of like the translation, I will come and live with him and he with me. I like that one a little better because it fits this situation. And then, so then I ask them. So this is their moment. I ask them and I say, okay, so did you do that? Have you invited <laughs> Jesus into your life or into your heart? And they say, 
hopefully yes. And I said, so then where is he now based on this verse? And they say, the person that cannot, cannot explain what the word everlasting life, love, or even Jesus in John 3.16 do, after we've gotten to this point, we'll always, without fail, I've never had anybody fail to say that that means Jesus is in my heart. And that's amazing. That's that's obvious transformation. Sometimes I'll point that out. I'll say, you know, when we were looking at John 3, you couldn't explain to me at all what that meant. Now we just looked at Revelation 3.20, which is actually a, a tougher <coughs> verse. It's harder to understand. And you nailed it right on the head. What does that tell you? Well, something just happened. That's what they said. You know, so that's, I, I recommend that and being able to reassure. Okay. If the person had declined to hear you, you can still leave material with them. Often they will push for more. And this is so funny. I I try not to laugh in their face when they do this because that, that really doesn't help the circumstance. We're glad to be the safety of the door. But this is what they do. So we, we believe there's people in, out here in the community who might be a God preparing them to get involved in a new church or whatever you know question you're using. Would that be you? Might that be you? Yes, it might. Can I share with you what we believe? No. Okay, well, let me just leave this material with you, and I'll stop back sometime. Move, go move away. Wait a minute. Yes? Aren't you going to tell me what you were going to tell me? Uh, no, you said no. Uh, well, come back here and tell me what you were going to tell me. And I can't, I, you know, because I don't get a lot of declines in the first place. It's not a huge number, but I would say of the declines, of the no's, better than 50% of them, when you start to walk away, they will say, well, come back here and tell me what you were going to tell me. And that makes me laugh every time. And then when they do that, that number then goes up to roughly 50% of them wind up praying to receive Christ, or they're already saved and they were just testy. You know, <laughs> they were just being testy and by their profession they were already saved. So that's the key. And I think it's comfortable to know if they say no, I'm not going to trespass. I am not here to confront anybody with the gospel. We don't, by the way, the gospel confronts people in its very nature, but we don't confront people with the gospel. Confront somebody with the gospel, the best you're probably going to do is help them to realize they're not saved. You're not going to help them pay by confrontation. We love them with the gospel. Yes. Have you found this to be primary? It looks like it's going to be. However, um, we we have in the past had extensive successes with the black parties as well. So, um, and I, I'm going to share with you in just a minute uh, how some of this all translates into global impact, impact across the city. So it's not just our church that's being affected by this. Um, and and uh, sadly, or maybe not so sadly, depending on your point of view, you will have people on your block, you will win them to Christ, they will never come to your church. They will literally live three houses away, they could walk to church, but they're not going to come because their uncle is a pastor, because their cousin is a deacon, because... Their grandma always wanted them to come to her church, and the list just goes on. And they'll wind up in somebody else's church. In the first 10 years of planting New Heights, we reached 500 people making first-time decisions for Christ and baptized roughly 25 people a year, 250 people in 10 years. And we added about 25 people to the church. So we, for, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, a little faster than we did because of that. Because of that, we were able to track where some of those people that we saw get saved wound up so if I took a map like that and I started putting dots, I can put 12 or 15 dots of people who got saved through those block parties and so on that are now throughout the U.S. and a couple throughout the world. So that's the missionary element. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. My heart aches for any church that is about church growth or building growth. I'm just going to say it the way I feel it. And I, and I have a pretty nice building. We're blessed with a pretty good building, but we didn't pay for it. <laughs> so that's fair. You know, that's 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 fair. All right. So uh, if they decline the material, you still want to thank them for their time and bless them. 
But what they don't know then at that point is because they they're not interested in a phase three step uh, stop back visit. They're not accepting any material. That in the file folder that you're keeping on their house, you're now going to make a note. They were closed, would not even accept the material, and you've excused yourself to some degree. I only say to some degree because you still have a debt, so you still have to look for the opportunity to repay that debt, but you've excused yourself to some degree for the probing nature of trying to find out what that debt is. Now, we've had people who are like that one time, and then they come to a block party and they're much more receptive, and we, you know, we haven't had this happen since we started this program, but then at that point you might have to change them back over. You know, you might from totally not interested to interested. If they might say, I'm totally not interested, don't leave me any material, or I don't want to stop back visit. Then they come to a block party and pray to receive Christ. They definitely go back into the green column, right? They go back into the, we're going to go to the column. We have, because now not a debt of obligation to our community, but a debt of obligation to a new belief. So it changes that in a sense. Go big. Yes, sir. Absolutely. In the beginning there, what you're praying, yes. I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. or not. Do you address that? Like, yeah, I mean, because if you get denials, yeah, I would lead. Later yeah, I would lead with when we start. So our question would be: We're with New Heights Fellowship, and we believe that God is preparing certain people in the community to get involved with the new church. Might be one. That's what we would look like. Yeah. The beauty of that too, then, is sometimes you can get support from uh, other churches, uh, mission support, all kinds of things like that. And if you start a program like this and it's working, people are getting saved. There's more support available. You know, like even New Heights would come if your church wanted to do this. We we've got the truth is we have two really solid, faithful people doing this. Right? Me and Mike, but that's it. But we have a lot of folks that can do it, and they will do it, and they you know, plug in on the dates that we schedule. And so, um, so we could probably bring a half dozen people to come and do it with your church. We would say, "I'm out here today with First Baptist so and so. We want to know is God possibly preparing you to get involved in the church that kind of thing." So you, you lead with the church name, and it doesn't you don't even have to be part of the church. You can do that. That's a good word. Okay, and if they want to know more in any way, shape, or form, that's like your golden egg, right? So always honor their desire to know more about who you are, what the church is about, about Christ. Uh, if they want to connect with the church in some way, but they're not interested in hearing what the church believes, then move immediately to scheduling a stop-back visit to discuss ministries and partnerships. They could already be part of a Lutheran church or perfectly happy, whatever. If your lead question is, we're looking for partners in the community, they might go, yeah, I want to partner help in the community. And then later, they might be a volunteer at your block parties. They might volunteer in your building. They might clean. They might they might do whatever. And someday they may join your church, but they may not. You know, But they're part of the kingdom. They're a brother and sister in Christ. You still want to be a partner with them. And so you go together with believers here. So remember that phase two is really about the stop back visit. You're not going to cover everything in this visit. But if the gospel opportunity opens up, never give up an opportunity to share the gospel. Does that make sense? And and you've got twelve houses to get through, in so or whatever you set your parameter was, knocking on door visits. Um, and if you can't get them all done in one day, you go back another day. But the goal is to do it in that one session. You prayer walk it a fourth time, and that first twelve houses you're knocking on the doors. If you're working with a small number, whatever your number is, okay. The main purpose of knocking door visits is to share the gospel and to schedule another visit during the next phase. Invite, of course, but look to further connections. I, you know, I really struggle with inviting people to come to worship who have not expressed an interest. Um, I had a guy who he professes to be a Christian, but he's got a, some problems with the church, has some difficulty in the past, like that. And he's had people come to his house. He's got three kids. He had people come to his house time and time and time again. Invite him to allow his kids to ride their bus to church, not for him to come, but for his kids to come to church. Can we pick up your kids and come to church? I kind of think that says they don't love him. 
Um, but that's what they're doing. And so he's, that's just furthering his problem with the church. So inviting can really be, if you say, I don't want anything to do with your church, and you say, well, if you ever do, please come. And like, that's kind of like passing your pearls before swine, you know? What you do on Sunday morning, what I do on Sunday morning, that honor, that's to honor God and so on. And, and I want to be open and compassionate and greet, we greet every visitor. We're taught to be nice to people. But asking people to come into that who have no desire to come into that, that's not good for them and it's not good for you. So I, I like the idea of going to the visit. Let's talk a little more about whether this is a good fit. Now, if it's Saturday and they say, well, I want to come to church tomorrow, no way am I going to say, don't come. Can I come to your, but I get this question a lot. Can I come to your worship services tomorrow? Well, of course you can, <laughs> you know, but, um, but you won't hear me say this. Can you come to church tomorrow? In fact, you'll never hear me say, can you come to church tomorrow? Because we don't go to church. We are the church, right? So in our church, we push that hard. My little daughter, I, I did a video on, you know, I included the kids said, I said, where are you at right now? And they all said, they're at church. I said, so much work to do. But anyway, um, we so we don't go to church. We are the church. If they want to come to worship or your worship gathering to taste it, see what it's like, because they're still searching, sure, come on. But it's not the same thing as a believer coming. I don't jump right on inviting. I I go to the gospel. So I'm okay. All throughout this, you're taking notes. Uh, you file the notes before ending for the day. Um, I do have an example form. I'll just show you real quick. I didn't bring samples for everybody to hand out. But I do our example form. Just a half page. Looks like this. And by the way, that's a thing too. When you're doing this because you're making a folder, realize you're at four pages of prayer walking so far. And now you're going to add this page on your knock on door visit. If they haven't allowed you to share the gospel or they are definitely pushing for partnership or something like that, then this is the kind of, you, yeah, this says name, address. The person I talked to was male or female. Uh, where they were an adult or maybe they were a youth or they're not an adult or whatever. Um, they said they will come to church. Uh, the number of people that live in the home, the number of children that live in the home, the number of adults that live in the home, do they want to be on a mailing list and be kept informed? Two phone number spots, an email, did I see any pets? Other people that live in the house, notes about our conversation, and the bottom one says, can you give information on someone else who may also be interested? So this has been my experience. Anybody that we get to sharing the gospel with or that we get to saying that there's going to be a stop back visit, they would probably give you all this information in your knock-on-door visit. You're like, man, that's a lot. If they just give you social security numbers, you could get you know, like house loans and stuff like that. You know, you'd be really rocking then. But the point is, they, they will literally stand there and give you the first and last name, whether it's an adult. And this is the thing you say, well, are they a child or youth? And they'll tell you, well, they're seven. 43, 13, 19, 49, 15. And they'll tell you everybody in the house, their ages, and all that. And they'll give you all that. Now, if they don't want to give any of that information, just let them tell you. Say, oh, it's okay. You don't have to. You know, this is just so we can pray and be intentional and we want to reach out. Now, what is the advantage of this? So if they've got three kids in the house, what do you now know? The children's ministry. We have a debt of obligation to children's ministry to this family. What if they have an elderly person in the house? What do you now know? This elderly person has all the basic needs of an elderly person, right? And so on. So you get so give you some good ideas for ministry right there. And even if they don't plug in, you now got children's ministry, youth ministry, everything like that. You've, you've got all that that you can do. Um, with them, and, and if they're interested in partnering in any way, then you can kind of, as long as you don't line up their your youth group, for example, with their youth group, you may see them in your youth group. You know, so if they're going to their church, maybe they're sad, but most churches don't even have youth activities. So this is a great opportunity to disciple their teenage right, and so on. So that's an example form, but you can do it however you want. But the key is take notes and don't miss the phrase: put the notes in the files before the end of the day. You cannot take them home in your car because then they disappear. They can't take them, especially if you know they're workers. If you're passed about, you might not have them. They're in my car, they disappear. 
that kind of thing. So I file everything before the end of the day. All right. Phase three, this is the last kind of lengthy one, if you will. Uh, we prayer walk all the homes again. So how many times does that mean every house is prayer walk now or at least five times, right? Uh, the knock on door visits for any remaining in the quarter and make scheduled stop back visits. So now you, you go out this day, you're prayer walking those 48 houses. I'm just going to do that number. And then you're knocking on, say, the nine houses that you've not already talked to somebody at. And maybe you eliminate five more. You talk some, now you talk five people and you know, are they necessarily they not? So and then the last part is you're making the stop back visits that you promised you would make. So you're delivering a gift, you're sitting down with them and having an intentional conversation. Okay? So this is the that's really the meat of it and how you get to do all three. And then during phase three, you prayer walk, mix the two type of visits for the remainder of the time. So, you know, it's it's exhausting to sit down with somebody and talk for 45 minutes to an hour, unless you happen to have that kind of personality. I'm in Someone asked me just an hour ago whether I'm naturally an introvert. Carnally, I am an introvert. I cannot do what I'm doing physically. I cannot do it. I was so inhibited when I was unsaved that I couldn't even order a sandwich playing at a restaurant because I was afraid of what the worker would think of me. That's how bad it was. So, and the Lord called me to be a preacher, and we found out the very first thing I ever found out about God, and that's He's got me. Yes, yes. Pre-scheduled in the previous phase. So at that knockback visit, they're showing interest, whatever. Okay, can we come back next Saturday morning, afternoons, you know, whatever? And bring you a gift and talk more about our partnership together. That's the goal. And you maybe haven't even, if they didn't push for it, and you maybe you haven't even invited them to church. Now, obviously, if they seem very open to it, or if they at some point in time say, yes, I need to go to church, and you say, come on, you know. Yeah. Our, what we found is we get, um, we get a, a tumbler with our church logo on it, and then we'll put like candy. Post-it notes, a pen with the church logo on it, a few other odds and ends items. You can get uh, these bracelets that are on the table like this. Not a material you can get from, if you're an Ohio person, you can get them from Station Advanced Ohio for free, pretty much. Jack Helton will provide them. As with, for most of these evangelism materials, you can get them from him. Um, and he is a resource that I would highly recommend when it comes to evangelism. And we're only in the local community evangelism piece right now, but this is a, I would highly, highly recommend connecting with him if you're building a, a community outreach piece. He's got resources and so on. Bruce Smith, which he's also talking here, I don't think he's in this session, so we might catch him yet, uh, has demographic information that now is getting pretty specific. Like, you could know, and if, if, you really, if you're anal about it, you really want to drill down on it, you could know how many people live in the house before you knock on the door. Personally, I think that's just going to bog everything down, and I would go straight to doing the knock myself. But um, So the, uh, the goal of the stop-back visits is to inform about the vision, direction, ministries, and more of the church. Now, I say that, and everybody's going, oh, well, we have to have a vision, a direction, ministries, and more before we can do that. But uh, no, open church model is we meet on Sundays for worship. We worship God to honor him and to hear from him. And also we meet a couple of other times for Bible study, and we'd love to do Bible study with you. That could be it. It's all you need, right? You don't have to have more pronounced vision like that. You do, great. You know? um, and they may be interested in hearing it all, or they may not. You know? and, and you go as deep as they seem to want to go, but you don't go, don't go overboard. Because some people will talk about all that and then go, I'm not really interested. Uh, but the rest of it's what's really important. Okay, Listening to the concerns, needs, and dreams of the resident. Remember, this all started because we have an idea that we have a debt of service to the, the families in our community. How do we serve? What are they up against? What's their problem? You know, What's their struggle? Um, we, this is where we use open-ended Questions and take notes. I sat with a woman. Uh, we did a similar thing like this, and 
Uh, we actually started with a knock, knock on door visit, and she invited us in. We had a conversation. It was, it was there. There was something going on. In the open discussion, she informed me that she was heavily addicted to marijuana. In fact, when we had knocked on the door, she was just about to sit down and smoke for a few hours. And when she heard us knocking on the door, she flushed the marijuana. Well, you're not going to get there unless God is moving and you're open to the conversation, right? So now this person has need. Now, we don't have a program for marijuana, specifically in our church. I'm not sure you need one. The gospel certainly speaks to those issues, right? Okay. And so, open-ended questions and take notes. Now, the notes go where? In the folder, right? Yeah, not in the car. Only on the way to the folder. Okay. Resources you'll need, note-taking resources, folder, packet, flyers, gift of some kind, uh, knowledge and understanding of the vision direction of the ministry, whatever you're going to share with them. File the notes before the ending of the day. Once all the houses in the first quarter have received their knock-on-door and stop-back visits or have been determined as not possible for those visits, so if they've gotten that nasty red check mark, they're really not interested, then that's, that still satisfies your debt for the moment. Phase two and three begin for the next quarter of the houses. So let's say we start with 48 houses. We've hit the first 12. We drop them now from the prayer walking route because we don't have an extra free prayer walkers available. We add on 12 more houses on the other end. And we go to the next 12 houses for our knockback visits. They've already been prayer walked seven times, eight times, whatever. They've already got all that resource of information. And then you knock on doors and, and, and try to fill in the gaps and try to get that stopback visit. All right. Phase four. Homes equal to the number of homes in the first quarter are added. First quarter can be still included in prayer walking if there's people or drop based on your preference. However, as the second quarter of the marked out area has begun, the first quarter is dropped and the new quarter is added. Phase one continues. Phase two begins anew with section of quarter two. Phase three will begin as soon as some knock on door visits yield some stop back visits. And those from the section or quarter one who showed interest are added to your prospect list. And contact is maintained at whatever level is possible. So if you now is where you're saying, okay, now you've said you want to partner with Jesus, you've accepted Jesus, now come get involved in worship, come serve on a ministry, come do these various things, right? We've got an event coming up, right? And this is your texting number. Add them to the Facebook group or, you know, whatever. All that kind of thing is going on so that they're connected in. Thoughts to consider. Questions that work, especially in the stop back visits. How can we help you? Train your workers or you do it yourself to look for things to fix on the way into their house while they're at their house. One of the most meaningful things that happened years ago, and this happened years ago before we really got this program together, was we were doing door-to-door and we went up to a screen door that had no handle. The handle was missing. It had been broken off. And so the door was banging in the breeze, right? They were not open to my talking with them really at all. However, we have a debt of service, and although I couldn't use those terms back then, we knew something. So I contacted my deacon, I gave him the address, he stopped by and put a door handle on their door. Later that week, we're, I'm walking by, they didn't know we had done the door handle, they went home. I said, hey, uh, are you enjoying your new door handle? I see you got a new door handle on your door there. Yeah? So yeah, I said, after I stopped by and saw that the other day, I had Brother Tony stop by and put that on for you, and, uh, and I just went on to go walk. You know, and I got about two houses down and say, hey, come back. And it was, what were you going to talk to me about again? You know, so for, what is that, four bucks? Who in here would pay four bucks to share the gospel with somebody? I mean, that's well worth it, right? So look for something to fix. Easy things are 
trim pieces loose, eavesdrops falling down, painting. Uh, I mean, this just goes on and on. Car, yard, car needs, yard needs. Remember, we have a debt of service. And some people, some churches allocate some cash to that. And they say, we're going to spend a few hundred bucks a month in the area. All right? So normal churches, according to the 2017 stats from the ACP, the average weekly attendance of a church is uh, 111. And that includes all the mega churches that fill the top percent of churches. 50% of the churches are under 100 people, and 90% of them are under 350 people. And yet, um, we have been given the commission by God to reach the community around our church building. Much discussion abounds about these churches, they the so-called barriers. Why can't we get to 200 people? Why can't we get to 300 people? Why can't we get to 350 people? But here, we're talking about the impact of the church. If you are the church, and the people in your church, we have 10 people, or 50 people, or 100 people, you can do what I just described. And you have a debt of service to do so in the community outside the building. Now, that being said, that doesn't stop there because now we're going to get, move into some other things. Real quick, some verses. You probably know these, so I won't do it real long. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's Matthew 16, 18. And it's talking about the church. Whatever size, it's talking about the church. Love one another in John 15. In 12 and 17, Jesus says, this command I give you, that you love one another. In roughly 14, he says, and this is so that you may have what you ask of the Father in my name. So when we pay that debt of service, when we take care of people, then that's when we... Check my time. Okay. That's when we uh, begin to see God work in the church. More power, more miracles, more of what we ask for in the name of the Lord. Okay. So your church can transform the community around you and win the battles in spiritual warfare that your church can reach the world. Okay. Now, worldwide impact, and I, we have not a lot of time left, so I will let, I'll let you drive the conversation a little bit if there's some area that you want to drill down on. Um, God never intended that for the church to be segmented, so all the different denominations and stuff like that, that was never intentional, uh, necessarily. But when we talk about the church and the Bible, it is the interwoven, interlinking efforts of all churches. So we see this plainly when, for example, you win a teenager in your community that actually is the daughter of a Southern Baptist woman who goes to a church in Texas or something like that, right? And so she couldn't win her because she's crossed the country and she missed the opportunity as a parent, but now you have reached her and that kind of thing. But this is, we're going to talk about is more practical, overreaching net stuff. Why reach the world? Well, that's just the task that we've been given. Uh, some crucial methods, some of these you may use. Correspondence, mailing letters to people, social media. If you don't have so, some kind of social media going, get somebody in your church that can and, and give people opportunity to connect that way. Churches have websites. They complete, compete, or sorry, participate in national, state, associational impact mission, mission trips, international mission trips, U.S. state and local and cooperative program giving. Cooperative program giving is the best program, financially speaking, to move money into the mission field. Hunger funds giving, which is one that not that many people know about, but you can give money directly to feed people who are hungry in the world. Disaster relief, which is a huge ministry. Um, we're the uh, second or third largest disaster relief organization in the world, Southern Baptists are. Pastors networks, where pastors meet together in prayer of their community. Local government participation, so you can participate in oversight committees, go to the uh, board of education meetings, so on and so on school participation, partnership, and more. So these are all things that their churches are regularly using. Now, some kind of more odd things that have come up uh, that have vast potential, marketing presence, and so on, so on are these kind of things. 
So the first one is podcast or video productions. A lot of churches are doing videos of their services. There's a, an African-American church in Toledo that has about 15 members, and they put their, they visually put their service on TV every week. They have 15 members. People watch that, and people are getting saved, probably, or hearing, they're clearly hearing the gospel. It's a biblical message that's being delivered. So anybody can do it. Caution. Once you do that, you have opened the door for things like hate speech legislation to be applied to you and so on. So just be aware that you're opening the door to difficult issues that can arise. Same thing with podcasts. Podcasts, is, this is what I'm doing. This is how difficult it is to make a podcast. This is a digital recorder, records in stereo, an MP3 file. I connect it to my computer, I bring it up. I've purchased a program that costs $99 for all updates for life. So it costs me $99. This costs 40 bucks. I run two filters on it, I cut it down to size, and I upload it to a podcast website that costs $40 a year. So for about 150 bucks, you can put your services on audio on podcast, and actually that's an unlimited amount of podcasts. You can do Bible studies, services, conferences, music, literally anything you want on podcast. Then when you put the description in, that podcast is searchable. So let's say they want to know about outreach in the community. Next week, anybody that goes into Google and puts in outreach in the community, it won't be the top because I'm not very popular in that regards, but anybody that puts in that could potentially find that podcast and listen to it. So that's an example of how easy it is to do that kind of thing. Um, Low-budget video production, you can do Facebook Live. It's free. Somebody can do it on their cell phone. The church, Belden Baptist Church in Mississippi, they Facebook Live, their video, their video of their service every week, and it costs them nothing. You do that too? Okay. Yeah, so we have avoided doing video because of legality issues that we could run. Um, I'm an inner city pastor, and so I'm, at th I'm now at three contracts that have been put out of my life in the last 10 years. So I kind of pay attention to those little details. Um, and so we podcast. If they don't want to listen, they don't listen. If they do want to listen, they can scan through it. They can go forward and back, that kind of thing. So, but we avoided that for that reason. Okay. All right, they, yeah, to get set up. Yeah, we've got uh, one minute. I have one minute according to my watch. So, unfortunately, we're not going to get into a few of these items, but you can see them, and they're in your PowerPoint. Right, one thing I do want to hit. Uh, blogs are there. Uh, when you do any of these things, be aware of consistency. You could preach or teach something, and then five years later, you feel differently about it. Don't leave it out there for the world. If you've changed your mind and you put a podcast out about it, then go take that podcast down. Follow? So you're not preaching against yourself. Simplicity, uh, make sure everything honors God, maintain it. Uh, there we go. Okay. Video blogs are another way to do it. You can do that on Podcast Garden for the same amount at $40 one year. You can do video blogs. Uh, passing podcasting. Self-publishing is the one that I wanted to share uh, that I don't want to miss. We do self-publishing, uh, and actually everybody that's here gets a copy of the most recent book, Again 3. If you already have it, then you can have a copy of the Blood Bowl, so don't take that with you. We're wrapping up here. Um, it's not any harder than like laying out a term paper. You can you go on there, use their method of creating your cover, use their method of putting your document in. A Word doc is fine. Just cut your typos to them, get your grammar right, and like that. And I shared this illustration to start with, and I'll kind of end on this thought. I'm a, I'm a small church pastor. We've got 65 to 75 members in our church. We've reached about 800 people in the last 18 years. Then we made first time professions with Christ, baptized about uh, 600 folks, something like that. Um, and they're in different churches, and we know that. Oh, uh, 
the book that I wrote, Think Again, it sold 145 copies in Croatia. I'll, I'm not going to Croatia. Lord, I'm calling Croatia. Um, it's all been, I wrote another book later that sold in the eastern Ukraine, like 33 copies. So it's happening, and that's and it's and it costs literally nothing. There's no fee. It doesn't cost you a thing to publish a book. So I recommend that. The last one, I'm sorry that I'm a second over, but I want to say to you is the back door of your church. Remember that people who say they want to get involved and then leave your church for whatever reason, that doesn't mean you just write them off. You still have a debt of service. So say to them, if we're not the church for you, let us help you find the church where you do belong. And then when they do find that church, that will give you someone in that church that you're now friends with. So we, we have dozens of folks that would say, let us help you, let us stay connected, we still want to plug in. And they don't come to our church, and there are other churches in other places, or they become a church planter or whatever like that. So use the back door of your church as readily as you use the front door of your church, because you're only going to fit so many people in your church. But you could have 500 people leave your church in 10 years, or never come after you share the gospel. Keep them on a list, stay connected, and work together for the community. I apologize, I didn't get quite through everything that I was going to talk to you about. If anyone has questions, I'm not going anywhere until after four. And then we have a couple booths out there, I just too. Have one quick yes, go. Um, is there any way, if we want to come along and help you with ministry out, that we can yeah, do yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Or if you have, you have any needs, or where would we find out some kind of information? So we have a website, newhangfellowshipchurch.org, uh, financial giving. The closing question of this session at Engage was, is there a way that you can come along and partner with our ministry? Uh, we are located online at newheightsfellowshipchurch.org and the various aspects of the ministry there each have a little tab that you can push the button. You can give financially that way. You can text uh, GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 419-419-0095. That's the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 419-419-0095 and give directly to the ministry that way. Uh, you can mail to uh, 255 Hefner, Toledo, Ohio, 43605. You can reach out to me via email at afamilyofgod.bex.net. The bottom line is this material that I preached or that I taught at Engage is nothing really new, but if you or your church really want to delve into this process and you'd like somebody to come along and just kind of give you some suggestions, maybe even teach this very same material in your church, that is a possibility. So I ask you to reach out to me by one of those methods that I mentioned previously, and I look forward to speaking with you about how we can engage your church to reach its local community and the world at the same time. God bless you, and we'll look forward to worshiping with you in heaven, if not sooner.